Pac-12 fans don't have to wait until Saturday to enjoy some games in the Conference of Champions. Thursday, Arizona State takes on NAU. And Friday, Colorado plays TCU in Boulder. So what should we look for in each of those games? Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions, which is why, if you have not already, you should like, subscribe, and maybe even drop a comment on Apple Podcasts or YouTube if you like or dislike the show. That's okay as well. Thank you to everybody out there who has done so already. And we're talking about the Sun Devils on today's show first, and that's means we've got Richie Bradshaw, which is always good news for us. He's the host of Locked On Sun Devils. Anything you need to know about Arizona State, go check him out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. He's also at Richie Brads with a Z36 on at Twitter. Richie, my man, it's game week, baby. It is game week. Yes, it is. And we were talking just before the podcast for Arizona State. It, it is at the time of recording this on Tuesday afternoon. It's just two more nights until Thursday night, and we get to kick off against NAU and finally get the season underway, and I could not be more jazzed and excited about a 6-6 six and six season. <laughs> <laughs> I think Arizona State might take 6-6 six and six Absolutely. at this point, honestly. like That would be all right because that means you've avoided disaster. It could, however, also mean that the school gives Herm Edwards another year or two. I don't know what his contract looks like, but that's a conversation for another day. But let's go to this game uh, against NAU, an FCS school coming out of the Big Sky, which is a conference that this team, Southern Utah, who I work for, uh, used to be in. They're now in uh, the WAC, but in case you're wondering what that logo is, that is what it is. I didn't even remember that I had that shirt on. I was just in a couple meetings with coaches earlier today, and I looked and I was like, "Ah, no, I don't think anyone could be offended that I'm wearing that particular shirt. But Big Sky is a good conference. NAU is not one of the better teams in that conference. That doesn't mean you can take them lightly. Uh, Arizona would be the case in point of that, losing to them in Tucson a year ago. That was probably the most embarrassing loss in in the Pac-12 in 2021. I think more so than Montana beating Washington. Not that that was a great look or anything. But Montana is is a very good top 20 FCS program. NAU is not. So what should ASU and Pac-12 fans expect in this game, Richie? How do they avoid disaster? They avoid disaster by playing mistake-free football, as like cliche as that is. You got to remember, this is a team that is dealing with a lot of change. The quarterback position particularly is a brand new guy with Emory Jones. He's got one year starting experience at Florida, there were times where he was benched last year for poor play. And while I am excited about him, I think he is far and away the best option you have you can't rule out the fact that he could come out and struggle to start the year but what you need out of him from this game and week three against eastern michigan when you know you call those your quote-unquote like cupcake games where you're supposed to get your season rolling off to a good start you need emory jones to be at the top of his game and be ready to go if he comes out and struggles that is going to be a very bad look for the rest of the year 
And within those first three weeks, you also have to go to Stillwater, Oklahoma to play Oklahoma State. So when looking at this NAU game, you basically got to come out and fire on all cylinders. That does not mean a 70 to 7 score. It does mean that you need to come out and look efficient on both sides of the football. That means mistake-free football, nice long drives, whether it ends in touchdowns or field goals. Obviously, you want the touchdowns. And you want to see the defense be able to step up. Like you mentioned, NAU is really not that impressive a team. They haven't been for quite some time. But you can't sleep on teams that have something to play for. And NAU would love to play spoiler a second year in a row and claim the crown as the best team, the best football team in Arizona. Like that is that is a aspiration that they have. And because of that, I'm I am a hundred percent not willing to look at this game and say, yeah, Arizona State's gonna win by 40. Plus, historically, we don't play the spread well. So if if you are like a betting guy, just throw down like two or three bucks on NAU covering the spread and you might win a little bit of cash there. I think you mean two to three hundred bucks, uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Arizona State a season ago, a year in which they finished eight and five, which is very easy to forget. You know, when you talk about the best teams coming into this year in the Pac-12 and where everybody is based on how they performed last year. It just feels like that eight and five season went right out the window, right? I mean, if either Washington State or Oregon State had gotten to eight and five, I think people would be even higher on them. And I, I like the Cougs and the Beavs coming into 2022. But what I feel even more confident about it, if they'd been an eight win team, right? If either one had won a bowl game or one more Pac-12 game, yeah, I, I would be that much more confident about it. But Arizona State just feels like this big wild card, right? It, it just feels like you could have enough talent that's been brought in via the transfer portal, certainly not in the high school recruiting class, but you can have enough talent that's come in via the portal to maybe be a seven to nine win team again, somehow, some way, but you could also have one bad loss in there. Things start to spiral. Maybe Herm gets fired in the middle of the season. The betting markets have him as uh, the odds on favorite to be fired first in the Pac-12 and things could go downward and it could be three and nine. Like it's the biggest range. All these teams I've done schedule predictions for, I think a reasonable way to approach that is say, you know, they're kind of in this two game range because the difference between six and six and eight and four is a last second field goal that does or does not go in and maybe one interception, right? And there's an element of randomness to all of that if you're looking at it from a gambling and prediction standpoint. But Arizona State, I think, has the biggest variance in what they could be. I could see him going three and nine. I could see him going eight and four. And I do not feel that way about any other team. I think USC is eight to 10. I think Oregon's eight to 10. I think Utah is probably nine to 11, maybe even 12. If everything goes right for them. Um, I think Arizona's, I, I think Arizona's probably in the one to three range, maybe four, but probably one to three, but ASU, I just, it's such a wild card. And I'm interested to see in these FCS games that are, you know, essentially by games where Arizona state is paying. And last year they played Southern Utah actually and beat them 41 to 14. They get overlooked a lot by, by fans because, you know, it's just an easy way to get a win on the schedule and it's important for the FCS teams. They need them and, and whatnot, but I think there are a lot of things you can look for in these sorts of games, like you've been talking about. If Arizona State is going to be closer to eight and four than four and eight this year, I think this is a good place to start and just get some confidence and continuity rolling for a team that has a lot of fresh faces. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it's definitely going to be about figuring out that continuity, like you just said, because there's there's so much change. You lost 16 players to the transfer portal, and not just like small name players. You lost five wide receivers. You lost your starting quarterback, a running back, several offensive linemen, tons of players on the defense. You also had a lot of guys run out of eligibility and or go to the NFL. There is so much change. And in one sense, it's absolutely terrifying. And you sit there and like you said, you could easily wind up with a sub 500 record. It would not shock me at all if this was a four and 18. Nope. But at the same time, if everything clicks and Herm Edwards for all his faults is definitely a player's coach and he is able to get guys to buy into what he wants to put out there. This could also be a team that surprises and they're not competing for the Pac-12. We can throw that out the window right now, but they could be a team that pulls off a couple upsets. A little while ago, if you remember, we were on here. I, I had Arizona State upsetting USC on the road, and I doubled down on that prediction when I was going through my own. But I will tell you at the same time, like they're going to drop some easy games. Like I have them losing to Washington. Oregon State's not an easy win either. Both of those home games too. Like this is this is a, a very volatile team. It's it feels safe to just say six and six because you don't you don't <laughs> want to go one extreme or the other. But like you said, it, it very well could be. This could be an eight win team just as easily as it could be an eight loss team. It just it there's so many things that have to go right for Arizona State, and the odds are they're not gonna. Well, if you feel confident about how ASU will perform this year, you want to use Bet Online to put your money down. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs, find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, all of them Major League Baseball, Go Mariners, NFL, NBA, NHL, esports, combat sports, and even my personal favorite, golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. From live in-game betting to scores and podcasts, they have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, we continue here with Richie Bradshaw, host of uh, Locked On Sun Devils. And look, I, I don't foresee ASU winning this game, even if it ends up being a bad year. And they've lost a lot of talent, yes, but they've also brought in a lot of players, and that sort of interchange, it could be a boon for them, it could be a hindrance. It's just a little too early to tell. But, you know, one reason that I'm not willing to come on here and definitively say, yeah, I don't think ASU has a chance to get over 500 and be a 7-8 win team this year is because Herm Edwards, as you said, for all his flaws and what we've seen so far and the limitations he's had as a coach, he's not a bad in-game coach. He's not great. He's not elite, top-tier, unbelievable, oh my goodness. But he's not bad, right? ASU has underachieved. But by what we think ASU can be as a program, right? By those standards. He's had eight and nine win seasons. If Justin Wilcox did that at Cal, he wouldn't get a six-year extension. He'd get a 40-year extension, right? Like, there are a lot of teams. You don't think Arizona fans would love to have eight, nine wins be like, eh, seems like you left a little bit on the table there, which from time to time kind of seems like the case. But the reason that that window is so big, a big part of it is I've watched Herm Edwards coach, and not everything is amazing off the field in a recruiting sense, which is putting a ceiling on the program lower than what it should be. But the on-field product, has not been very bad. 
there's definitely just like this stigma because of the underachieving that Herm Edwards is not a good coach. And he is, like you said, on the field, a much better coach than what he gets credit for. And like for, for what it's worth, like you can take it or leave it. There is NFL experience with him. And it is definitely shown that he understands the intricacies of the game and that he is aware of how to get the most out of these guys. And he's not playing with five-star players. He's got consistently three to four-star guys. Arizona State is not the best recruiting team in the world, which is weird to me considering you're right in the middle of California and Texas with good Arizona kids as well. Maybe that changes now that Antonio Pierce is gone. Neither here nor there. But he still is able to get the most out of these guys. And, like, this is going to be the year that you're really going to see if that's the case or if he is just almost overachieved at this point because there is so much change. But like you said, he he has been able to bring some guys in and some impressive guys too. Like Emory Jones is a solid quarterback. I love Corey Bethley, the defensive back out of Hawaii. He had 99 tackles and a handful of turnovers last year. There's all sorts of guys they were able to bring in to help replace some big names. If he's able to coach those guys up, I mean, like like you said, he he could definitely be seen a lot higher at programs that are consistently underachieving compared to Arizona State, which is constantly a middle of the road team. It's it's pick a lane. Look, are are your expectations an eight win season or your expectations just to get to a bowl game? Because Herm Edwards has found a way to do both. So I I love Herm for what he is. I think that he gets a lot of flack and overall is definitely a much better coach than he's given credit for. But again, he's not Lincoln Riley. He's not Kyle Whittingham, but he's, he's still a pretty darn good coach, especially for Arizona state Sanders. Yeah. And Emory Jones coming out of high school was a high four star and was starting for a team last year and had inconsistent play that ended up firing their staff because things did not go the way that they were supposed to. And you lose Jaden Daniels. I think that, Sucks because I really liked him and thought he was a talented player and we was also a pretty highly touted recruit. But do I think you're downgrading with Emory Jones? A, a little, yeah. But is Emory Jones a slouch who doesn't know how to win football games or, or who doesn't have any physical talents or the ability to to be solid at the quarterback position? Also, no. Exactly. And, and so I, I think that the potential is there. That's another element of the wild card, right? I mean, if you had Arizona State's quarterback room looking like Colorado's maybe or, uh, or, or Cal's, for instance, and we'll get to Colorado a little bit later in the show because they've got a game coming up on Friday against a TCU that has a fascinating gambling component to it. But if it looked like that, then I would struggle to pick ASU going above like five and seven, but having Emory Jones there to me is, is at least mildly, it's not intensely reassuring if you're an ASU fan, but to me it should be mildly. Um, and, and I think that in this game against NAU, he has a chance to show, you know, the, the, the sort of quarterback that, that he's capable of being. And, you know, one thing with the, with these FCS opponent games for a team like Arizona state is it's getting you ready for for the big time games, right? They have Oklahoma State in Stillwater next week and a chance to completely flip the narrative on on Herm Edwards' tenure and, and the season writ large here in 2022. So, what do you want to see ASU 
work out or, or get in shape the most as they prepare for Oklahoma State next week, this this Thursday against NAU? I think the biggest thing I want to see is finding an offensive identity early. You have been a great running team over the last several years, even dating back to like the Taylor Kelly days and the Mike Bercovici days. You've had good run games, and it's only gotten better over the last few years with Manny Wilkins and uh, Jaden Daniels really taking steps forward as a running quarterback. Emory Jones is a dynamic running quarterback, led Florida last year with 759 yards on the ground. And keep in mind, Damian Pierce was there, who's looking like the number one running back for the Houston Texans currently in the NFL. So Emory can be a massive game changer as a runner. Arizona State has good running backs as well. They brought in Zazavian Valade, the transfer from Wyoming. I'm a huge Daniel Legata fan. I've been on record as saying that he is Eno Benjamin Light. He's like the RC Cola version of Eno Benjamin. <laughs> I I like a lot of their depth. I think that like if Arizona State can commit to bully ball, which is what they do best, then I like their chances against quite a bit of their competition. There's still definitely teams where it's like, no, 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 no. That they are definitively better than Arizona State, but they could surprise a lot of teams because as any football fan knows, when you can ground and pound and control the clock, dictate the pace of the game, you tire out defenses, and there's so many things that go right when you have a good run game. So if Arizona State is able to commit to having a good run game and they can come out week one against NAU and rush for 200, 250 yards, as well they should, because not only is NAU a not great team, they are a very bad run defense. That should be one of Arizona State's goals right now, is to set set as high a standard as you can for your run game. You truly can. Like, Don't settle for 100 yards. Don't settle for 150. Shoot for that 200 to 250 mark. And just really show in week one that, like, hey, you know, you know, we lost Rashad White, we lost Chip Train, and we lost uh, Jane Daniels, but we reloaded, and we feel like our run game can still be just as good, maybe even a little bit better, depending on your on your confidence level with it. Their 2022 recruiting class at the high school ranks is outside the top 100 nationally, which is embarrassing i don't know how to say that's 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 embarrassing and it's last in the pac-12 yes however they had a bunch of departures via the transfer portal the investigation everything is uh, certainly a, a component of that but their transfer portal class is top 20 in the country for 2022 you got a bunch of three-star guys in there you got nesta jade silvero who Mm-hmm. Probably projects as the guy who will slide in coming over from Miami to replace Jermaine Lole, who went to Louisville, I, I believe. And that that was, you know, kind of a big question mark if, you know, he was expected to come back and kind of be the anchor of that defense. Then he leaves. But Jade Silvera is a guy who might be able to slide in and, and at least be solid and productive for them right away. But uh, of the newcomers, you know, just looking at the rankings, uh, Nesta Jade Silvera is, is one guy who stands out. And then their top recruit from the high school ranks, Tevin White, is another name that, that obviously pops because he's their only four-star in the class of uh, 2022. How much do you expect those two guys to contribute, or do you think they'll just be a little bit more uh, of rotational players? No, uh, Nesta Jade Silvera is definitely going to be one of the most important guys on that defensive line. 
with so many losses that you sustained. You lose Jermaine Lole, who is projected to be your starting three-tech. You lose DJ Davidson to the NFL. He was your starting nose tackle. Jade Silvera is going to be rotating between those two positions on the inside, and he's such a big and strong guy at the point of attack. And I feel like if he's just able to control the line of scrimmage, I'm not looking for five to six sacks out of him. I'm looking for a guy who's going to keep my linebackers jerseys clean and allow them to get into the backfield to stop to stop opposing run games. He's going to be incredibly important, uh, especially because this is a defensive line that's reloaded. It doesn't help you just lost Michael Matus for the year with an ACL tear, but you do have good linebackers with Kyle Sully and Merlin Robertson back this year. They're good run defenders. They're good in space. If you have a big defensive tackle, nose tackle kind of guy like Nesta Jade Silvera, you're able to make life a lot easier for you. On the offensive side, Tevin White, I expect he's going to be a big part of this run game. Uh, he's a pretty big dude. He's like six foot, maybe maybe six one, about 215, 220 pounds. He is your biggest running back and definitely has that, that downhill style uh, like mentality. And that is definitely a change of pace because Valade is a very good balanced runner. Nagata is a hard nose between the tackles guy. You got a few other guys there, Deontay Elliott and uh, 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 Charles Hart, uh, the third and uh, George Hart, not Charles uh, George Hart. The third is also a guy that they're going to want to get involved, but Tevin white definitely brings a different element here with a little bit more bully ball mentality. And because of that, I, and Arizona state also loves using three running backs. Daniel Nagata last year as a third back still had, I think 56 carries. I would not be surprised if Tevin white ends up being that third back for you. And they're also going to want to use him to potentially be the future. Valade should be gone after this year for eligibility sake. And if Nagata has a good enough year, he could depart for the NFL. You're going to want to see what you have with Tevin white. And quite frankly, I think that there's a lot of good things that could come with Tevin white this year and the future. We both expect Arizona state to win this game against NAU, right? Like I, I don't foresee. 100%. Yeah, I, I, I don't foresee an upset brewing there. I, I don't know if I had AS or Arizona losing to them a season ago, but they did come in on a 12-game losing streak, I believe, yeah. in Arizona State. Uh, it does not come in, you know, a downward trajectory, but not 12-game losing streak, yeah. uh, low levels there. But wrapping up today with Richie Bradshaw of Locked on Sun Devils, I wanted to ask you about the other Pac-12 game that will happen before Saturday, and there are so many storylines to watch in this conference in the coming days. I mean, it is it's going to be an awesome weekend. It's going to be an awesome week by week by week thing, right? I think non, the non conference is going to tell us a lot about about some of these teams and, and how they might perform once league play begins. Colorado right now is a big underdog against TCU at home on Friday. Big game for the Pac-12. I think one of the four most important this week. I think you've got Utah, Florida, number one, and I I think probably Oregon State, Boise State, number two, because if they win that, they could be a team that kind of flirts with the top 25 uh, throughout the season, because if you beat Boise State and Fresno State, like that's a decent amount of respect. Those are both teams that have been in the top 25, not infrequently the last few years or so. But number three, I've got TCU and uh, Colorado and the Buffs are big underdogs. Now, they opened as eight, eight and a half point underdogs. According to our friends at Bet Online, that has moved out to 11 and a half. 
at other sports books I was looking at in the ESPN app, it's as high as 13 and a half or 14 now. I don't have high hopes for Colorado this year, but in week one, that's a lot of lettuce to be laying down as a home underdog. I mean, do you think that that is undervaluing Colorado a little bit just in week one? Because I'm I'm not high on the buffs this year. I, I think it could be a tough year with Carl Durrell there. I hope I'm wrong, but their non-conference schedule is just absolutely brutal. They don't have an FCS opponent on it. It's TCU, then it's Air Force, and then it's Minnesota. Like, that's one of the toughest non-conference slates for anyone in the country, frankly, especially out West. But getting them well over 10 points at home in week one. In week 10, I might feel differently. But in week one, boy, that's tempting, isn't it? Oh, 100%. I, w- I was telling you before the show, uh, we-, we had some interesting conversation I'm going to bring up here in a second. One of-, one of the things is, like, Colorado really played some tough games last year. People forget that they took Texas A&M down to the wire. It 10-7. took 10-7. It was 10-7. Yeah. And AM didn't take the lead until a few minutes left in the game on an Isaiah Spiller wheel route that, quite frankly, was pretty well defended. Uh, Colorado is not going to roll over on their backs for anyone this year. I think they are like they're they're definitely going to be one of the lowliest teams in the Pac-12. But like you had mentioned before, is when you're playing those first couple weeks of the year and you don't know that you're bad and you just you feel like you have something to prove. Colorado could come out and surprise and TCU is not the program they were 10 years ago when they were consistently top 15 to top 10 in the nation there that kind of spread makes me very intrigued with Colorado and I like some of what they have I do really like uh Brandon, Brandon Lewis a quarterback I think that he wasn't the most impressive player in the world but I think there was a lot to build off of there and I like the guys he's throwing to RJ Sneed they bring him in as a transfer, they have uh, Montana Lu- Luminous Craig was a guy who they're very excited about as well. I love their tight end, Bra- uh, Brady Russell. I think that their offense could find a way to put up some points in this game. The problem is that defense is basically brand new. You lost so much, including the secondary, where you're projected to have three redshirt freshmen starting right now. So it's, it's, it's definitely a game where should they lose? Yes. Should they lose convincingly on paper? Yes. Will they? I don't think so. And I think that uh, they're, they're just, they're going to be a problem for most teams this year. Again, that that's not necessarily going to result in wins, but I think that they're, they're going to be a team that's a lot tougher out than people think. And I like them to cover that spread, especially the 13 and a half to 14. I would, I would throw some money down on that. Yeah, and TCU's got Sonny Dykes now, so they're incorporating a new staff. And how often are new staffs in week one as sharp as you expect them to be late in the year? Even if, I was watching College Game Day on Saturday because what else is on my TV on a Saturday morning in the fall than College Game Day? I was going to say, who cares at that point? Give me any any college football. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But I was watching it, and there were some, some guys on there asked about a dark horse pick to win the Big 12, and a, a couple different people said TCU. Like, that could be a dark horse option. And I don't think it's necessarily a, a ridiculous thing to assert, right? The, the program has reached very high levels. They've knocked on the door of the college football playoff once or twice. They can win at a very high level 
Maybe they could do that this year. I haven't studied them extensively at this point in time. But think about it like this. If you have a new coach, let's say they are a dark horse to win the Big 12 and they're an 8-9 win team. Does anyone think that that new staff and the players they've got there are going to perform at the same level in week one as they will be in week 11? The answer generally is no. And in the NFL, the best coach teams play their better football later in the year or early in the year when they've had a bunch of time to prep. But in college, I think because you're dealing with kids, it's not as easy to have your team humming at a high level. But heck, look no further than Utah. Utah at the end of last year versus the first three weeks, that's a completely different football team. And that's with one of the most veteran, talented head coaches in America. I think you're asking a lot to say Sonny Dykes in game one, even if he has a good year, is going to go on the road. Those fans in Boulder, by the way, they're going to pack the stadium and they're going to be loud. It's a really underrated home environment. Yeah, it is. they, They are very, very passionate out there in Boulder. Like, you think of the best home environments in in the Pac-12, you probably have Washington in there, Utah, Oregon, USC. Colorado's right there in, in the mix, maybe a hair below, but they can get – I just think that's asking a lot of TCU to go in there and win by two touchdowns or more. Cannot wait for it all to get started. I know my man Richie Bradshaw, the host of Locked on Sun Devils, cannot either. They take on NAU this Thursday on Pac-12 Network, Colorado and TCU. I believe that game is on ESPN. I might need I might need to double check that, which I'm going to right now because I don't want to mislead people who are relying solely on me. It is on ESPN, 8 p.m. Uh, mountain Time, uh, so that's a what seven o'clock Pacific time. Uh, so depending on uh, where you are, I know you'll be watching. I'll be watching. Can't wait, Richie. Thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely. That'll be some good old-fashioned Pac-12 after dark, and I am here for it. (laughs) Yes, indeed. I appreciate everyone listening. See you next time, and have a wonderful rest of your day.